Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen and tonight my comedy panel will include Andrew Doyle and Leo Kirst. We'll go through the papers and do all the reviewing for you. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen. Joining me tonight are the uh, Abbott and Costello of GB News. It's Leo Kirst and Andrew Doyle. Have you fallen out yet? No, um, that's to come, right? Yeah, I'm, I don't. I don't really understand which one's Abbott and which one's Costello, or who Abbott and Costello are. Right, as the taller, thinner one, you get the better deal. Right, and that's. I know that seems harsh. It's but pretty harsh. <laughs> I mean, he's got the glamorous jacket as well, so he's you know he's got everything in this yeah. conversation. Yeah, had good good day so far. Before some guy started picking on your heights and weights, um, it was fine yeah. before that point. But I'm used to being bullied. I had it when I was a kid. Yeah. I have it now. Well, at least you didn't shoot up a school because of it. I did. I certainly did not. I did some bad things at school, but nothing like that. Can I ask about the bad things you did? Probably not, but I better not find out. Uh, no, let's leave that one, because okay. I will pay for that in purgatory. I don't need to do it here. Although sometimes feels like it. A little bit. <laughs> little bit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, we can move on and see uh, what's on the front pages. Let's take a look at Friday's front pages. We start with the Daily Mail. Uh, they go with Rishi's 12, uh, £21 billion pound splurge, but in brackets, but when will Tories get back to just cutting tax? Front page of the Daily Telegraph. Tories are now the party of big spending, says Sunak, but also on the front page. Fears for chippies as ministers prepare to ban Russian fish, which means you'll have to go in the chip shop and ask for a battered sausage, and no one enjoys saying that. And the independent Goodfellas star Ray Liotta dies at 67, plus their story. Sunak offers oil and gas firms tax cuts for drilling. The Guardian, Sunak unveils £15 billion package of support after windfall tax U-term. The Financial Times, Sunak's five billion, different numbers all the time, five billion windfall tax U-turn sparks anger from energy groups, but you'd hope the Financial Times had done some of the maths there. The Mirror has the front page saying, about time Rishi, finally, he helped struggling families five months after Mirror and Labour demanded it, is their take. The Times says, Tories split on tax and spending bonanza, plus they have a picture of the Queen that's not very up to date, you think they probably could have found a better one. Uh, Rishi's £1,200 boost for £8 million, and a picture of ABBA. We'll be talking about that reunion shortly. For The Sun, footy exclusive. Ace's wild night out with Blonde days before he weds. Andy's stag doe, as I believe how you would be pronouncing that. Uh, the Metro goes with Rishi to rescue at last. And finally, to the Daily Star. Vladdy hell, Jez. Uh, World Nor 3, Putin pal says war is turning Brits into cannibals. Which comes as a shock to all of us. And those are the headlines. Let's start with Friday's Mail Leo. And Rishi Sunak has unveiled his plans to address the cost of living crisis. 
That's right, yes, there's a bit of a U-turn from Rishi Sunak after the government saying for ages that they wouldn't put a windfall tax on big energy companies. They have decided to do just that. Uh, a 25% uh, windfall tax raising £5 billion, uh, which is going to go towards a £15 billion pound uh, cost of living bailout for, for struggling families. So uh, I think everybody gets, you, you, we were going to get £200 uh, per household, that's been doubled to £400, but then uh, it's means tested. So if you're on benefits, you get more. If you're a pensioner, you get more. So some households will be getting up to £1,650 which is, that's a lot of money. So, um, yeah, so a bit of largesse from, from the Conservatives, who are traditionally a sort of uh, low-tax, low-spend uh, government, but I think that's gone out the window in the last few years. And, uh, yeah, the, and also there's, uh, he's, he's tried to sort of soothe Tory fury uh, by saying, um, you know, he hasn't caved into Labour demands uh, and offered red meat to socialists, um, so it's just going to be temporary and there's going to be big tax breaks for energy companies that invest. Because, of course, that's why we're in this this mess, because the, the energy companies haven't invested to develop oil fields in the North Sea or uh, or are fracking. And, and this is because of political pressure on them, because of green policy and all the rest of it. But now, hopefully, you know, these energy companies are going to do that and we're going to get our, our homegrown energy back on track. Is there a question about the timing? Can we go down the conspiracy theory hole of thinking, why did they not mention this before there was something they wanted to shift from the front pages? Well, well, I don't think that would be a conspiracy theory. That's just good political (laughs) sense, isn't it? You know, however, I don't buy this idea that they've nicked the idea of Labour. I know Labour were pushing for the windfall tax for quite a while. And Rishi's been accused of offering red meat to socialists, which doesn't make sense because socialists are vegan anyway. But, (laughs) you know, I I think this is just a good idea. It's just a good idea that, you know, obviously should be done. I mean, the, the, the kind of price hikes that we were talking about were going to be ruinous, absolutely ruinous for families across the country. It was important that something was done. And I think this is the right way to go. You know, it's not just that the uh, the £200 loan, uh, it was going to be a loan, the £200, and now you don't have to pay it back. They're doubling it to 400 mm. and you don't, and not only that, you don't have to pay it back. So I think, I, I think, it's, a, I think it's a good thing. On that thing about the fact that it's means tested, so it's, it's only half means tested if some of it goes to everyone. If you're bothering to means test something, which is often the argument, means testing costs money. Yeah. Why means test but still give that 400 quid to millionaires? They're not even going to notice the difference. Yeah, but I think, you know, if you give it to millionaires, at least they're going to probably spend it and it's going to go back into the economy. Uh, maybe. No, I, I think that's, Actually, that's, I think that's wrong. right. Because <laughs> there's something in this article as well talking about how anyone with a second home will also benefit. And this means that actually Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak will benefit from this. <laughs> but they've said they're going to give their money to charity. But I think you're onto something. Yeah, let's means test it properly. Yeah. If you're a millionaire, you don't need the money. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's not the worst feather in the nest that the, the government's done over the past few years with all the PPE contracts for billions and billions. Yeah, but that 800 quid they pocket from having two homes, that's the reason. <laughs> that's why they were doing this all along. Doubtful. Let's move on to Friday's Telegraph next, Andrew. Boris Johnson wants to move on from Partygate, but some of his MPs have another idea. Yeah, so um, th- three in a day. That, that sounds like a sexual conquest. I didn't mean that, but three, <laughs> three Tories in one day have uh, called for Boris Johnson to resign over Partygate. And this is Stephen Hammond has joined David Simmons and John Barron. Uh, these are all MPs who have written to the uh, 1922 committee, which is Sir Graham Brady's uh, committee, backbench committee. And the idea is that if you get 54 letters, I believe that's the golden number, 54 letters, that will mean, uh, you know, potentially you'll have to resign. Um, and they said, what, 22? 
yeah. 22 so far. So there's quite a lot of people. But you know, th- we're at the point now where the public is sick and tired of Partygate, let's be honest. We know we had the Sue Gray report, which sort of re-energised people. But look at the way that the papers interpreted it. So the, the papers that were anti-Tory uh, basically said this is de- damning, it's the end of his... Uh, he has to leave. And the the papers that were pro-Tory were basically saying, oh, it's nothing, it's fine. They, yeah. they, you know, so uh, all of... I think it is just... We've got to the point where are we still arguing over champagne and cakes and everything else when we've got a, a war in Ukraine, monkeypox... All sorts of other things. <laughs> well, I'm just saying there are there are perhaps more important things at, at, at this point. Yeah, I'm just amazed that the left wing media can still find people to, to drag out to cry on TV that they couldn't see their granddad or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that? I mean, in general, that argument makes some sense. But yesterday was different because it wasn't really the people's who were bringing it up's fault. It was the day the, the report got dropped. Yeah. Yes. It's the, it was a different day to talk about it, so it wasn't really their fault for mentioning it. No, and it is it is continuing because of Tory MPs today. So this is this yeah. is yeah. this is Tory MPs who are resigned. That's quite a big statement against your leader. I mean, they're basically yeah. saying we still have confidence in the party. We're still Tories. We don't support the leader. That's a yeah. massive thing. I would have thought if you don't support the leader, you would defect maybe or do something else, do something or resign. Yeah, but I think um, I think uh, you know there is there is this idea that Boris has sort of run out of steam, and you know all all the things that made him popular at the start, such as lying, <laughs> parties, and uh, and things like that. Uh, are now a hindrance to him. So, you know, we perhaps need, you know, serious people for serious times. It is weird, though, isn't it, that people do... His fans often do excuse his lying as yeah. being, like, just a bit a bit of a sort of character trait. Yeah. It's it's quite endearing when he lies. But, I mean, that, you know, and there's so much evidence of it. You know, Peter Oborn wrote a book about about this where he sort of rigorously catalogues yeah. the various lies with evidence sourced. Every, you know, no, yeah. one, no one's denying that Boris Johnson has a history of lies, but for some reason... Him being in office with that track record, they're like, yeah, but it's Boris. Yeah, you it's, know, that's I find that bizarre. It's like Trump. Trump lied a lot, but there was a sort of honesty to his lying. You knew that he was lying, so <laughs> it felt like the truth. I'm going to try that. I'm going to preface a lie with, I am lying, but, but at least I'm honest about the lie. We'll see if that works. Good luck to my marriage. Um, considering all the trouble that Partygate has caused, you might think that uh, parliamentary booze ban would sort this out. But according to Friday's <laughs> Mail, that won't be happening, Leo. Yeah, so this is related to Partygate, of course, because, you know, we've seen so many pictures of uh, people holding glasses of wine, glasses of orange, orange juice, possibly with some kind of mixer. It's, uh, you know, it's obviously uh, a, a, a pit of depravity and decadence that makes Motley Crue um, look like a nunnery. But, um, but yeah, so Boris Johnson has dismissed calls for a Downing Street alcohol ban from within his own party. So it's his own MPs that are calling for this. Uh, he did this by invoking Winston Churchill's boozing during the Second World War, because uh, Winston Churchill was, you know, a notorious boozer and smoker and probably, you know, laudanum and uh, DMT and all the rest of it. Like it's, uh, but, I mean, I think it was, it's different times. I mean, uh, um, Churchill was under a huge amount of amount of pressure and uh, he started the day by drinking champagne but I think in the old days wasn't it like smoking smoking was seen as a, as a good thing to do when you turned you know 14 or whatever you were given a, a lighter I think uh, even he was thought to drink to excess a pint of champagne yeah a pint of champagne for breakfast that's before he hit the port and the brandy and everything but it wasn't in a pint glass was it because that would have been hardcore yeah, no, yeah it was downed a- in one and then he hit the glass <laughs> in his head that'd be fantastic but yeah I mean Winston Churchill he lived in 90 even though he looked like he was made out of sausages and I mean I guess you've got to be a little bit drunk to convince the British people to continue with the war after Dunkirk 
And, you know, he, he did that and he managed to, to you know, rally the, the English and the British people and, and defeat Hitler. Yeah. I'm but, a bit suspicious of this suggestion by Johnson that he won the war because of the alcohol. Yeah. I think that's unlikely. I would say in spite of. Yeah. It's probably a more likely <laughs> Although, thing. I mean, champagne for the start of the day must boost your confidence. Mm. It's the most important drink of the day and you get it done and all that, of a sudden that's I true. can take on anything. That's true. Yeah. And he did have Paul Roger. Is it Paul Roger? That's the one, yeah. Yeah, which is a particularly nice champagne, yeah. I have to say. So fair enough, he had good taste. Could that be the, the actual argument of why they shouldn't be drinking in number 10? Maybe they shouldn't be having as much fun. We're all having miserable times. Maybe they shouldn't enjoy their job either. I mean, it could be a bit of that. But also, you know, the truth is when you're in a very high stressful job, alcohol does creep in. And actually, it's, and, you know, I was a school teacher. They drink a lot. Teachers drink an awful lot because it's a high pressure job. And actually, it's, it's kind of necessary. Most of the, most of the best teachers are functioning alcoholics, yeah. you know, and I, and, no, and, I, and I mean that. And I think, I think the idea that of a complete purge of alcohol in Westminster is completely unrealistic. They'll all get the DTs. That'd be the problem. They'd be t- shaking too hard to do any work. Exactly. Yeah. And the day, the day that you drink champagne for breakfast is Christmas Day. And it's always great. It's a great day. So get a lot done. Yeah. Maybe every day could be like Christmas. Yeah. Oh, Friday's Independence next, Andrew, and news of MP Claudia Webb's appeal. So you might know Claudia Webb because often she posts really unhinged things on Twitter. But she's this MP who she's actually lost this appeal now. She was convicted for harassing a woman who was having an affair with her boyfriend. Uh, and this included, quite astonishingly, threatening her with acid. I mean, this is full on gangster stuff. Mm. And uh, she'd also threatened to, to send naked pictures of this other woman to other people or, or whoever that might be. Um, but look, you know, when it comes to MPs, private lives and their sex lives, I don't care. If people are having affairs, uh, you know, if they're doing all sorts of that sort of stuff, fetish stuff I don't care and it really bothers me when the tabloids splash it all over the place because it's not my business it doesn't affect me criminal activity it does I don't think you can be a representative an elected representative if you're a criminal I think this is sort of baseline stuff if you're threatening to throw acid at people I mean it's absolutely astonishing so she's getting a just desserts so do you think you can be an MP and have a criminal fine that's a very (laughs) good question Uh, yes I think you can yeah Fine line. Well, like, well, it'd be like a library fine, wouldn't it? No, I suppose the rule is, isn't it, a year? If you get a prison term of a year, then that's when you are forced to step down. Yes. I mean, you could, you could throw it back, though, couldn't you? Because uh, the, fi- the kind of fine that you're alluding to there, and you compare that to, I'm going to throw acid at you. I mean, you can see that it kind of pales in, compa- in significance, yeah. doesn't it? I think this is so serious. You, d- you mm. just kind of think... Unless she was very drunk at the time. And then it was okay. Is that, oh, what, is that what it is? champagne for breakfast. Who knows where you're going to go. What's your take on this, Leo? Well, I mean, obviously it's terrible. Obviously it's terrible. And it was at a time when acid attacks were happening quite a lot, which, you know, adds sort of credence and, and weight to the threat. Uh, but it was against a woman who was having an affair with her boyfriend. So, so what? Well, I've seen Jeremy Kyle. Tempers <laughs> getting flamed. Yeah, but would you want those people on Jeremy Kyle to be your MP? Um, yeah. Really? <laughs> Maybe Jeremy Kyle. I don't know. He'd sort, he'd sort some things out with this country, wouldn't he? He could, yeah. I mean, he'd crack the whip. He could sort out incestuous working class families. That's about <laughs> it. But he wouldn't be able to work out much else. You're speaking to my people. Don't have a go at incestuous working class people. <laughs> Mansfield. All uh, right, Brexit. Remember that? It's back in the headlines thanks to Friday's Times. And what's happening, Leo? Yes, the rate of asylum seekers granted permission to stay in the UK is the highest in more than 30 years. And this is because of Brexit, according to the Home Office. So uh, um, overall, asylum applications hit 55, over 55,000 in the 12 months to March this year. That's the highest since 2003. Uh, and this is... Uh, uh, 
This is uh, the rate's even higher for the most popular nationalities who claim asylum in the UK. Uh, so they grant 75% overall. 75% of ap- asylum applications get granted now. But 98% of Syrians, 97% of Eritreans, 95% of Sudanese, uh, 91% of Afghans. So, you know, virtually all of the people from those places who apply for asylum here. And um, obviously Brexit, I mean, this is, this is strange because Brexit was, I don't think it's controversial to say that it was propelled partly, the vote was propelled by by the migrant crisis in like 2014 to 2015, which was manufactured by Putin going into Syria and sending waves of Syrian refugees, you know, away from the war and devastation uh, happening there. Uh, and, uh, you know, assimilating people from, you know, slightly different or vastly different cult- cultural backgrounds, um, you know, created some, some friction in the UK. And now Putin again is fomenting another migration crisis by blockading Ukrainian grain and not sending, you know, Russian grain uh, to Africa, to the Middle East, where they're, you know, deeply dependent on it for their, for their calories. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to see a huge amount of instability and unrest in the Middle East and in Africa, and also a, a new wave of, uh, of migrants coming to the UK. And what's interesting is uh, under Brexit, you'd assume that you know uh, leaving, you know, Brexit would mean you know would become more of a fortress and uh, fewer people get in. Actually, under Brexit, there was a, the Dublin Treaty, which uh, meant that people coming through other European countries had to claim asylum there uh, instead of it claiming uh, asylum in the UK. And obviously, you know, there's very few people who come directly from Somalia to Kent. So, um, so you know, without Brexit, we're we're letting a lot more uh, asylum seekers in. I mean, I'm sceptical about that it's because of Brexit. That seems to be the way that it's spun. But surely it must have a lot to do with the escalating numbers of asylum seekers. I mean, surely that's part of it. And I mean, I would have thought, I mean, look, we and, and you know, Brexit wasn't solely propelled uh, by concerns over immigration. Concerns over immigration were very important. Mm. The, the, the main reason why people voted uh, for Brexit is a concern over sovereignty and, and the fact that laws that govern this country should be made in this country. Uh, and I think a lot of people in this country are actually very supportive of the very notion of asylum seeking because we have a a very, very noble tradition of helping people out. Mm. You know, if people are in war-torn situations, we do welcome them here. And, and I think that's something we should be proud of. And I think that's something we should continue to do. So I'm just sceptical that it's been spun in this way, that this is because of Brexit. I just don't know if that's true. Because surely, even with this Dublin Treaty, there must be a way, given the return of sovereignty, that we would be able to uh, arrange our own laws in such a way that we can have sensible immigration controls and turn away people should, if they are not asylum seekers and perhaps economic migrants. But I think it's, I mean, it's an open secret now that asylum is a way of e- for economic migrants to, to get into the country. And so people come here from Muslim countries and they, they convert to Christianity and then say, I'm a Christian. If I go back, I'll be persecuted. So there's but some of those people, and all the lawyers know how to, how to get around it. But some of those people will be being persecuted. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what, this is the trouble when you have wars in, uh, in places with uh, you know, deeply, deeply different cultural values you know, yeah. where uh, perhaps the organised uh, grooming and rape of, of children uh, could be acceptable or um, you know, terror, you know, things like that. Are, uh, are uh, you know, but then how do, you, how do you? I mean, th- what you're talking about there then is that we need a, a system to be able to better uh, determine. Uh, which are authentic asylum applications and which are maybe economic migrants. Although I even I, I even have sympathy with economic migrants. I mean, why wouldn't you want to oh, yeah, improve ab- your absolutely. life? Oh, yeah, already in the system. Isn't that why it's not 100%, it's 75% that are granted? Well, there uh, a system or it's 98% from Syria or 97% from, from Eritrea. the data, you can definitely get it to 100% if you only looked at people who were approved. Syria is quite... I mean, that's what, these are the most popular nationalities who, who claim asylum here. So this isn't looking at, you know, tiny little pockets. This is the, the largest uh, demographics. Mm, but the fact is not... 100% means we have a system that says no to some people. To 2% of them. 
<laughs> I mean, that's a great. That's well. I still come back to this point that you know, if, if someone is fleeing from war, if someone is going to be persecuted in their home country, and, and we can help them, we should. I think we should put this country first, and we should we could we can look and see what you know the assimilation of uh, you know people who are vastly culturally different, what the impacts of that have been. You know, with uh, you know, not just grooming gangs. I feel like every time I'm on GB News, I talk about grooming gangs. It's uh, it's not it's not deliberate, but, but that's you know, not a fair terror. reflection of of migrants. Full stop. Is it? You no, know, it's it's not. But I mean, they're not coming from Wales. No, there are cultural differences. You absolutely have to take into account, and and there has to be ways to to uh, to address that without being accused of racism and all the rest of it. Yeah. These are important things that we have to do. So, uh, yeah, it is a complicated, difficult issue. It's an issue I'm sure we will return to many times. Uh, let's also look at, well, everyone's favourite social media network, Twitter, is in trouble. Oh, no, Andrew. Uh, we'll, well turn to the uh, <laughs> Guardian for this. You don't sound particularly authentically oh, sad about wh- Why not spend loads of time on Twitter and realise that things get bad for you? Oh, dear. Well, uh, Twitter have now been fined. It's $150 million, uh, which is roughly £119 at the moment, £118, £119 million pounds, uh, by US authorities because they've been collecting uh, users' email addresses and phone numbers. Um, and they'd be, But that's not the problem. We all know that they were doing that anyway. But they were collecting it for security reasons uh, and then using that to effectively sell more data to advertisers, right? So they, they weren't passing on your phone number, but advertisers were able to match uh, whether you, the phone numbers that they had on file were the same as the ones that you submitted to Twitter, right. and that makes their advertising campaigns easier to target. So it is exploitative, it is illegal, and um, I don't know why anyone is surprised. This is, this is Twitter, isn't it? This is what they do. They're monitoring you all the time. You know, they're looking at everything you do. They, you know these stories, people always say, oh, I was talking the other day about how I wanted to buy some leopard print boots and all of a sudden an advert for leopard print boots pops up on my smartphone and we think they're listening in they're not actually listening in what that is is twitter and the rest of them have such an incredibly detailed profile of you that they know that around this time of year you're going to want leopard print boots that's terrifying to (laughs) me that's really scary so that you know this is not surprising to me at all this is why for most of my accounts i use uh, fake email addresses Yes. How else am I meant to send all the hate? But anyway, um, yes, have you had... is that where it's coming from? <laughs> That's where, yeah. I've got to do something with them spare time. But are you, ex- are you surprised by the fact that there's a, a use of data that might be questionable? No, but I've noticed there's been quite a few cases like this. There was a, some sort of tech company that was uh, fine just uh, was harvesting fa- facial data and selling it on to, to the Met Police and other places. And uh, I'm wondering if it's because uh, legislation gives the authorities power to, to grab such huge chunks of money. So this is $150 million. This is you know typical of the sort of money that we're seeing seized from tech companies. So it's almost like a, a windfall tax yeah. tech. Well, coming up after the break, e-scooters, transgender Barbies and a man living his life as a dog. We'll see you then. Join us for Ministry of Offence, the comedy panel show that's just like the news, in that the left fights the right and it doesn't really seem to matter who wins. We cover the big stories. It was in fact a troop of baboons and not angry vegans. I like that. And the really important stories. Fat naked cow gets stuck in swimming pool. It's a headline in a lot of local newspapers. We're on the same team, Nick. Yeah, but I'm just helping you. Join us for Ministry of Offence, Saturday nights, 8 o'clock on GB News. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen. Tonight I'm joined uh, with Leo Curson, Andrew Doyle. I was thinking of comparing you to GB News version of Stop It and Tidy Up. 
<laughs> oh, do you remember those? What stop it and time? Which one was the fat one and which one was the short one? <laughs> it's exactly what I went for. Good point, <laughs> so we start now with Friday's Telegraph uh, with the tech giant Google under threat, Leo. Yeah, more tech trouble. Uh, Google is facing its third investigation by the Competition and Markets Authority in, in 60 months over allegations it abuses its dominance to distort Britain's advertising market. So we see this, this happening in, in tech quite a lot. If you've got a platform, like Microsoft did it with their... Uh, you know, Windows platform, they, they said, oh, use this browser, use our terrible browser instead of using Chrome, which ironically is made by Google. Uh, and that's, you know, that's market, market fixing, market monopolisation. Um, and, you know, this is a big business. British businesses spent £1.8 billion on internet advertising in 2019. I've got to say, though, I've, I've had a run-in with Google ads. And uh, so some of that money they take is, is taken nefariously. I tried to run, when I was running for election, uh, I tried to run a two-day ad just before, uh, just before the, the election date, uh, saying, you know, this video, I boosted it on YouTube, saying, oh, you know, vote for me, I'm leaving care some running vote for me tomorrow on May the 7th or whatever it was uh, and Google said oh we can't run this they sent me an email saying we can't run this because it's political or whatever so I was like fine then in August <laughs> I was at the fringe and uh, all of a sudden uh, I noticed this money had gone out of my account and uh, so I, lo- I logged in to see what was happening Google had started running this ad and shown it to like 2 million people <laughs> So they'd, they'd seen this ad in August telling them to vote for me on May the 7th. So it was completely unwanted. And Google had told me they weren't going to run the ad. And I tried bringing this up with them. Number one, you can't get through to anybody. The whole place is a faceless robot. Number two, I brought it up with my, my credit card company because they charged me through my credit card. And my credit card company took their side because they said there was some sort of contract or something, which I don't remember signing. And I got that email, which surely nullifies the contract. So anyway, Google, you deserve all you get. I hope they take you for all the competition and market people take you for every penny you got because you got that money like nefariously stealing it out of my back pocket Leo I reckon that's why you didn't win yeah well maybe if I'd you know maybe if I'd done some proper campaigning instead of just leaving it to two days before and trying to run a Google ad that I couldn't run and then running it in August after the election then maybe yeah I would have got more votes that's good to have an excuse yeah yeah Let's move on to e-scooters featuring in Friday's Times, Andrew, and unfortunately, uh, not for positive reasons. No, it's not. The Department for Transport are claiming that the number of pedestrians that are injured after being hit by e-scooters was nearly four times higher in 2021 than the previous year. So this is a, uh, it's quadrupled. This is, this is mad. A total of 223 people travelling on foot wounded by the contraptions in Britain last year. 63 seriously hurt. These things are death traps. There's loads of illegal ones as well. There's loads of people who are riding them illegally. It's apparently up to 750,000 are illegal. Uh, and they're being, and they go everywhere. And they, you know, they're, they're terrifying things and they're really bad for, Elderly people or people who, who are, who, you know, who don't see these things coming, they're bound to cause accidents. I don't understand why. It's a very antisocial form of behaviour. What's it? the difference between a legal one and an illegal one? Well, if you're riding an illegal one, you're probably a more reckless person. Right. And more likely to collide with but people. But do you need to get a licence? Is it like a moped? Or? Uh, well, I've never looked into this because I wouldn't touch one of these abominations. Right. But <laughs> the, the only legal ones are either on private land, but what's the, the, no, that's <laughs> not going to show up on right. these stats, but it's, there are certain areas, I think Birmingham's one of them, I think Cambridge might be one where they are testing to see what happens if people can use e-scooters. But they go right. on the road as well, right? I'm not sure if you're meant to. No, but I've seen them do it. They definitely do. And they These people are pirates. Yeah. It's outrageous. The, I mean, as much as I don't like e-scooters, I also look at this story and think it's the, the least shocking stats I've ever seen. 
Like, you compare it to previous years when there were fewer e-scooters, there are now more accidents. Plus, the year they're comparing it to had a big old chunk of lockdown in it. So, <laughs> oh, there is that? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't... I, this surely can't be the future. I don't know if it is the future. They have to make noise, because they're silent. Yeah. So See, if you they, ride one, you should have to it's be... so dangerous. can they just use uh, cycle lanes? Because then it's basically a bicycle, because yeah. a cycle makes no noise, apart from, you know, this faint whir of smugness. And... Uh, <laughs> So these, but then they'll collide with bikes and stuff. That's the perfect system. Yeah, because actually they should be punished, shouldn't they, cyclists? Because yeah. they're well, annoying as well. I cycle, and in my defence, I make a lot of noise, but it's mainly panting. <laughs> so I don't do it particularly well, and that bike's quite heavy. But, I mean, it makes sense. It's a two-wheeled machine. Hmm. Then why should they not be in the bit that has the two-wheeled machine? Yeah. I'm with yeah. you on that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, staying with the times, and Wimbledon Lawn Tennis Club is sometimes seen as old-fashioned as an institution, but it looks to be entering the modern age, so I presume you don't like that, Leo. <laughs> well, Wimbledon, uh, I mean, I'm quite ambivalent to this, uh, is replacing its honours boards uh, before next month's championships to remove the titles Miss and Misses in front of the names of female winners to replicate the men's boards. Uh, not that the men's boards have got had Miss and Misses on them, but uh, but yeah, basically they're trying to sort of slightly modernise the sport. And finally, if this comes, this comes the week uh, that John McEnroe, former Wimbledon champion, uh, was calling for, for the sport to, to just do away with, with gender division. Then you don't need to have any furore around uh, transgender uh, contestants um, and you know also the because he'd, he'd been criticised for saying um, you know somebody ranked 600 could beat Serena Williams you know the greatest female tennis players of all time could be beaten by you know relatively mediocre uh, male athletes um, and so he, he was called out for that and he said well look it's true and if you don't believe me let's do away with gender roles so maybe, maybe he's got a point hmm? well, I'm not particularly I'm with you on that I, I think they're just bringing things up to date aren't they they never put Mr next to the men. What are they going to put next to Boris Becker? Just a number, like a prison number. <laughs> that no, that'd be great. 24601 or whatever it is. Yeah. And then, I, you know, I would say, um, yeah, we, I mean, like, I, I worked at a private school where uh, when there were official invitations to parents, it would be uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bertie Sheen. Or, and then the woman was subsumed into the man's name. And that was, that's a very old-fashioned thing to do. And they got rid of that while I was there. And, I, and everyone was like, yeah, of course. Hmm. You know, it's, we're in the 21st century now. Um, Mr. and Mrs., it does seem... Irrelevant, the marital status of an athlete. I don't think that matters, does it? Yeah. Unless you really crunch the numbers and find out that the, the unmarried ones really do score better. You know, you could, you could delve into the data, <laughs> but unless that's happened, you're right. It's, it's not relevant. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Friday's Telegraph next, Andrew. Uh, Barbie dolls are another big name who are adapting to the modern world. Yes, so Barbie, so Mattel is the, um, the owners of these, these dolls, uh, the company that makes the dolls, and they've created one based on Laverne Cox, who is the transgender actor who was in Orange is the New Black. I believe Laverne Cox was in the remake of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I can't bear to watch because I think the original is definitive. Um, but uh, And I mean that seriously. Um, but yeah, they've launched this, it's a transgender Barbie doll. And they say this is the first thing, they've, they've done this to highlight the importance of acceptance at every age. I don't know if, they, if they've done dolls of celebrities before or modelled on celebrities before. This seems quite unprecedented. But they have done this kind of thing before because in 2019, Mattel uh, launched a range of gender-neutral Barbies uh, and you could change the haircuts and the clothes and, and all the rest of it. And they said at the time, and I wrote this quote down, they said... K- 
Kids don't want their toys dictated by gender norms.、Mm. Kids don't know what gender norms are. <laughs> That sounds like an adult saying what the kids don't want. And and、yeah. and again and again with all the, with these kind of issues, a lot of the times adults imposing their own obsessions on kids. Kids will play with any toy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it looks like Laverne Cox, whether it's transgender,、yeah. whether it's non-binary. They don't care. It's a toy. And also, what's the difference between transgender Barbie and cisgender Barbie? There isn't one. I'm pretty sure if you lift the skirt, it's just like a smooth. Oh yeah. There's, yeah, there. there's, there's no anatomically、I、correct this genitalia. Is, this is, that's the point. This is a gesture. This is a gesture that、yeah. they're making. So they're which, deciding which, what the pronouns and what the gender of these dolls are. They're forcing it on these dolls. And that's wrong, actually, because part of the joy of playing with dolls as a kid is you get to decide what they're called. You get to get to, get to decide everything about their identity.、Hmm. And I know because I had dolls, and I'm not ashamed of it. I had dolls. All right. Don't you、what、look at me, you alpha male, you judgmental alpha male. <laughs> not having it. Ones with guns in that, right? Uh, well, well, no, badminton rackets. You know, <laughs> what kind of age were you when you had these dolls?、Uh, five or six. All、oh, right, I was thinking like three weeks ago, <laughs> and there was a valve involved to blow them up. But, but I, you know, I, I don't. I think the hijacking of 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 kids' toys for adult obsess, middle class adult obsessions,、mm. is just a bit weird.、Yeah. I, I don't care particularly. It's not a problem,、yeah. but it's a bit weird. And bringing complicated adult issues into something that's aimed at five-year-olds is, you know, I think just when,、yeah. I would when say, they're old enough. I would say I have more issue with the books that tend to, that try to educate four-year-olds about gender identity ideology, which is which is the same as giving them a sort of a fundamentalist religious text. Yeah, I think that's weird, and I would have a, a slight problem with that. But this is, I don't care about this. I had the Action Man where you could move the eyes, Eagle Eye Action Man, and terrifying. I had the He-Man stuff, Fisto. I had.、Um, <laughs> I'm not making that up. There's a character called Fisto, and you could pull his arm. Back and eat. I won't do the action. It, real. And yet everything suddenly fits in place. <laughs> Friday's Mail next, Leo, and I'm、uh, concerned that the press might hound this next guy. I hope his、yeah. bark isn't worse than his bite. So far, you've got no relevance as to, as to why these are puns. Tell us more. It's because it's a guy who likes to dress up as a dog.、Yay. He's、uh, he's a Japanese man. He says he's fulfilled his lifelong ambition of becoming a four-legged animal after spending two million yen. That's twelve and a half grand on a dog costume. I don't know, maybe get a better ambition than wanting to be a border collie. Like you could cure cancer, you could get a vaccine that doesn't cause myocarditis. Is that、uh, him? That's him. That's him. It does. It looks quite real. I mean, you can tell the difference.、Um, I'm not a biologist, but even I can tell the difference but, there. But the other dogs can tell when they go for you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But、uh, some have praised the lifelike outfit as awesome because this is obviously blown up on on Twitter. Oh, here he is reenacting Bob Dylan's、uh, iconic <laughs> video.、Um, some people, some people on social media have said it looks unnatural. I don't know what's unnatural about that. A dog <laughs> with、uh, one viewer commenting: No matter how much money you spent, you won't be a real dog, which is pretty cruel and also quite trans dog phobic. Transspecies, yeah, transspecies for a bit. Well, there's nothing new about this. I mean, people have often sort of emulated animals and wanted to be animals. Who, who is that? Was it Jocelyn Wildenstein who had plastic surgery to make herself look like a cat yeah. Yeah. or a leopard? Yeah, was it Wildenstein? I yeah, think it was. It yeah, you know, people. This is a, not a new thing. Uh, uh, I think people should be allowed to dress and what, however they want and do whatever they want to their own bodies. And if they want, to, if he wants to dress as a dog, good luck to him. At least it's a particularly fine costume. He's made, making the effort. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't make the effort when they when they go through these procedures. But that's that's real、yeah. real effort there. They chose a long hair dog、uh, because it would be easier to hide the sort of human 
bigger. Is that right? Is that yeah. right? So if you, if you tried to be uh, a pug or uh, or, or, like or that, a whippet, short haired terrier, oh yeah, whippet. You know how could I mean? you? How could you transition to a whippet? It'd be very difficult. It would. You should definitely be allowed to do it. You just shouldn't be allowed on the couch. I'm glad we're all <laughs> um, coming up. Abba are back, and uh, we can't give you a man after midnight, but we can give you Leo and Andrew discussing robot crabs and beer made from urine. <laughs> Back to headliners. Time for the final part, and I'm joined by GB News's answer to Alan Bennett and Thora Heard. It's Leo <laughs> Kirst and Andrew Doyle. I don't know which one will be which. Uh, and Thora, <laughs> you're claiming Thora. Yeah, good work. We kick off uh, this final part with Friday's Times, Andrew, and this company uh, taking working from home a bit too far. This is a company called Zopa. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Zopa. Or Zopa? No, Zopa. So this was apparently founded in 2005. Uh, they've identified all these countries. Uh, 13 countries in all around the world uh, where they're allowing their employees to base themselves so that they don't face onerous taxes, taxation, okay? This is a company that was a peer-to-peer lender. I don't know what that is. And then converted into a bank. So anyway, whatever it is, it's a big company that's basically saying, since the pandemic, we've worked out that actually we don't need you to come in to the offices and we can have employees anywhere in the world and it can be much cheaper for you mm-hmm. to live in these various uh, tax havens. I don't know if they're havens quite, but they're, they're places where the taxation wouldn't be as bad. And I, mm-hmm. everyone sort of anticipated this was coming, I think, because when we got so used to people working from home, you realise that most stuff can be done from home, most stuff can be done over Zoom. And then the risk of that, of course, is that you could hire employees from countries, pay them a lot less to do the same stuff. And, you know, and this maybe is the first step towards that kind of thing. I don't know. But I think that would be great for, for the British economy. It would be instead of, uh, you know, bringing people to, to the country to, to do the work, um, which, you know, then not that, not that man. I, I sound like I'm anti-immigration. I'm not. You know, I, th- I think it's fantastic, uh, but limited. Um, but in, instead of bringing people to the country to do the work, people can do it and stay in, stay where they are. And then they get to benefit from, you know, if they're in India well, or whatever, they benefit from, you know, a, a better quality of life with the money they make. And there's something um, to be said about, like, not having everyone in the highest taxation areas or the highest living costs. I mean, places like London. Yeah. You know, I mean, it would be, why not have... It would be great if we, if we could do this and live somewhere really cheap. But, yeah. you know, we can't. What surprised <laughs> me about this is, uh, so data flowing across uh, country boundaries, you know, flowing out of the EU, there's, there's often restrictions on that. Um, so, you know, if you're a law firm, you can't, have, uh, you can't have data leaving, you know, the EU or leaving certain areas. Um, so, yeah, I'm surprised that they, you know, they, they identified such different countries that are clearly in different jurisdictions that, you know, they can have their financial data flowing over there and, and flowing back. Um, because that would have that would breach uh, EU regulations, I'd have thought. Mm. If they were a peer-to-peer company, they can probably do it via BitTorrent or get LimeWire working again. They're probably dropping their files that But I think way. now that they're a bank, they're subject to, to banking regulations. And e- even as peer-to-peer, it's, it's, it's regulated. Am I the only one who doesn't know what peer-to-peer means? So it's, uh, it's basically you can sort of ring fence. Uh, you can either lend directly to, to someone else. So say if somebody wants to start, uh, start a business uh, you know, selling ice cream, yeah. you can lend them the money, they'll specify what interest rate you'll get, what return you'll get on the money, the level of risk. Or you can uh, put your money into pots. Uh, so, you know, they say you'll get 20% a year back from this, but it's high risk and it, it goes into this kind of... Uh, they bit. give you the pot. No, <laughs> it's not an actual pot. It's, it's not, not an actual, actual pot. <laughs> to be honest, you're just confusing me more, it's a, if I'm it's honest. a virtual pot. Okay. Yeah. I think we'll move on. Um, also in the Times, Leo, a pensioner playing hide-and-seek with German police. 
Yeah, this one's a bit simpler. So a 75-year-old man went into a hospital in Germany. Uh, for uh, He was fitted with a neck brace for a spinal injury and he disappeared on the Tuesday evening, uh, triggering a search by police and hospital staff. And uh, he appears to have become lost in the building somehow and uh, climbed a ladder into the supply shaft 10 metres up and uh, got stuck between floors, like in being John Malkovich. <laughs> and then while they were searching for him, uh, they even checked his home and launched a search across the city. Uh, searched a river uh, so you know it was, a, it was a pretty full on thing until uh, he fell through the ceiling um, I mean, it's hardly the great escape is it 12 hours on he fell he <laughs> fell through the, uh, didn't land on somebody who was having cardiac surgery well that's <laughs> something isn't it yeah do we find out why he did any of this he uh, he got lost how lost do you have to get to end up between floors in a ceiling I don't know. No. Good. And let's hope we never find out. I mean, trying to find the gym in this place is... is uh... <laughs> uh, let's move into the metro uh, next, Andrew. Normally, it's negative when you say that you've got crabs, but not on this occasion. Exactly. These are tiny robot crabs, smaller than a flea. And th- according to this article, they're saying that these tiny robot crabs could be used to, to, for medical treatment. They could go inside you and 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 solve your problems, clean out your arteries, attack tumours, all this sort of stuff. I mean, I've spent my life trying to avoid crabs. You know, I don't want this particularly. And I've seen that film in a space, you know, where uh, Doug, D- Dennis Quaid gets shrunk down. He's in a little machine around. I find this terrifying. You know, the idea that like, it's tiny, tiny robots that can go inside you and do whatever they want. What about when they learn to think? What about when they learn to reason for themselves and they think they can mess about with your pancreas? They can do what they want to you, and they will, because I've seen those films too. I've Mm -hmm. seen the Terminator films. I know how this ends. Just stop making the things that will kill us. I don't want to die because of tiny robot crabs. But there's a pot, so I'm sure that will save it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Fair enough. This is the future, though, isn't it? Leo, look, let's move away from someone who who shudders at the idea of technology. No, bring back leeches. That worked for various medical treatments. We don't need this stuff. Or worms. Gastrointestinal worms. Oh, they still use that? Well, they they release uh, chemicals that modulate your body's immune response and uh, then do away with uh, asthma and arthritis and things. But anyway, yeah, I think this is kind of good. It's mostly good. Uh, These are robots that can go inside your body and do, you know, do the dirty work for you. If you've got like dirty arteries, they can, they can clean out your arteries. Uh, They might get hacked by Russia. That's a, that's a a dangerous thing. (laughs) Because it's not terrifying. Um, But, uh, I mean, the real danger is uh, now that they can make these tiny things, um, what's, what's going to happen when they get used for warfare, which is next. When I read this thing, you chuck them in a field. Yeah. They're going to go inside people's, Heads. And I, re- I read about these these drones. They could create drones that are the size of tiny little insects that can kill you. Yeah. They just fly right through you. And like, so we are asking for trouble. Let's just go back to the old life where we just have wooden carts and, and, and barrels. <laughs> and we die and, aged 34. <laughs> yeah, but we die happy, not mutilated by robot crabs. Ah, the good old days. Splendid. Uh, you might think this next story from The Independent is taking the pee, and you would be right, Leo. Yeah, so this is, uh, because of climate change, there's a lack of water in a lot of parts of the world, including Singapore in Southeast Asia. So uh, beer uses a lot of water. In fact, it's 90% uh, H2O or more if you're drinking carling. Um, so the, <laughs> to, to get around the water crisis, they're, they're going to use uh, sewage um, as their source of water for the beer. So they say, they say the sewage is somehow treated to become ultra clean. I don't know, ultra before it doesn't make it sound cleaner to me. That's more, that raises more questions than it answers. Uh, And they use it to create a tropical blonde ale. 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think they already do this in the UK. It's called Brewdog Punk IPA. Actually, I don't, I don't know why. I remember when they just made lager and it tasted nice because it tasted like lager. And now they, they've got to make it and it tastes like... It does taste like urine. Uh, like somebody's urinated into, into a, a, a I mean, pot of look, flowers. Most beer tastes like urine as well. I'm a more of a shabbly kind of individual. <laughs> but like this kind champagne of... Champagne in the morning. Champagne in the morning, shabbly in the evening. That's me done. But I mean, it is... I, look, I get it. Like recycling waste water is probably good for the environment. But it's like so many of these things that are good for the environment. They say that, that in the future we'll be eating insects because that's the way to help. Mm. Uh, the, but I'm still not going to do it. Yeah. Like, it's still gross. Some of them could be drones. So, it, I, hadn't, a, I hadn't thought of that. Chip a tooth but, and a drone. In the old days, <laughs> wasn't it a case that people drank beer because the fermentation process cleaned the water? You had a yeah. choice between dirty water and drinking beer. Yes, that was the excuse anyway. Yeah, yeah. but this is the same. So even if... Ultra clean isn't quite as ultra and clean as ultra clean sounds. It's been brewed, it's been fermented. No, but could you do it psychologically? <laughs> could, you, could you really? Because you know you're drinking urine. I... And, the, and the fact that when you get that beer moustache afterwards, <laughs> wiping that off, that'd feel wrong, wouldn't no. it? Mm. Um, Friday's Mirror next. <laughs> Mamma Mia, here they go again, Andrew. Knowing me, knowing you, you'll have something to say about this. Yeah, an ABBA story. So... <laughs> I love that you've given this story to the gay man. All right, I know what you're doing. So, they, right, so ABBA are reuniting in the UK for the first time in 40 years. Uh, they're apparently very emotional about this. And this is this song, uh, song, sorry, this concert, which is created by avatars, which they're calling avatars. Mm. And we know it's a computer-generated versions of, uh, of Benny, Bjorn, Agneta and Anna Fried. Um, and, but they won't be performing them themselves, but they are there for the launch. And there they are uh, in all their majesty for the launch. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they're very excited. They're very emotional. Uh, well, they're also very lazy because they're not going to have to do any of the shows. They've just got these robots to do it. For. Again, again, with the robots, it's always technology. I would like, I would pay money to see ABBA perform. I'm not going to pay money to see uh, avatars or holograms of ABBA. I'm not yeah, but the fun of seeing a classic band, you know, 50 years after, after they had their first number one is the fact that, you know, you can see them grunting and straining to hold their instruments and, you know, obviously having a, having a terrible time because they're not getting to, to uh, you know, hang out with groupies and do lots of drugs afterwards. But they need the money now, that's so, the thing. Yeah, but they, they need the money, but who wants to go and see a hologram? I can stay okay. at home and look at holograms on, on TV. In front of your credit card, just yeah. staring at that for a yeah, while. Yeah, 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 and play, just, play the songs in the CD player. This is just the ultimate work from home, isn't it? It is. They, they, a few people have done it. Like There was a Whitney Houston hologram show, wasn't there? Good reason. She though. is dead. Yeah. Oh, she is dead, and that does make it harder to perform at that point. Um, but I, I think with they've, they've hit this quite sensibly at a, at a good time because they're sort of the first to do it this way and of course it will sell out won't it it'll be really? yeah i mean it, i mean abba are absolutely huge and, and holograms i i don't know it's like the difference between getting an autograph from the actual person and getting an autograph from someone else who's been told to give you well, an to autograph. me it's, the, it's, it's like those non-fungible tokens and people buying bitcoin which isn't real money it's like that people like stuff that isn't real now no, non-fungible tokens that market's completely collapsed oh has it people yeah oh yeah that's right Okay, well, maybe the ABBA market will collapse as well, but, <laughs> but I don't think it will because they've got great tunes. And, uh, and but, you know, I, don't, I think people will just enjoy the experience of lots of ABBA fans in the same place. They'll go wild. Mm. Sounds great. Um, Friday's Mail next, and you might think that giving away a £5 million artefact for nothing might cost you your job, but you could be wrong in this instance, Leo. 
Well, uh, in this case, it sounds like he is. He, he was sacked. So a bungling stately home caretaker. They call him bungling, but wait till I explain what, what happened. So he, he was a caretaker for the stately home, and he accidentally gave away uh, his, a historical Tudor artifact worth £5 million. It's this like mantelpiece thing that goes over the, over the fireplace. Uh, and, you know, the way, the way he, he says it, it's like, oh, it was going to get thrown out. It was put on this, this pile. It's all full of, you know, dry rot and worms. So they put it on this pile to be burnt. And, uh, you know, then I, I said, can I grab it off there? And uh, then this, this is what he says. Um, he said, can I have that? He didn't do anything with it for about a year and then decided he was going to cut it up to make headboards from it for his three kids because he wanted them to have worms in their head. And uh, just as he was about to cut it up in front of his garage, a gentleman walked past and said, what are you doing? This man was an expert in Elizabethan history and told him it could be worth a lot. I mean, he might have been wearing a monocle and a top hat. We don't know because this guy totally made it up. And uh, so then he says, we tried to sell it and even had an offer for £1.9 million. But the police and the council came and told us to stop. And also there were social media posts that were shown to the tribunal with one person referring to dodgy dealings at the hall and being informed by very reliable sources that most of the interior and exterior fittings uh, such as fireplaces, balustrades and fountains are being offered for sale. So it looks like there's some sort of scam going on. This, I mean, guy, I, this I, guy is very much the Paul Burrell of uh, stately home caretaking. I am detecting a note of scepticism <laughs> in, in your voice and yeah. I, I, I'd just like to say we haven't heard his side of the story so for now I'm going with bungling. Yeah, obviously this is all alleged. Alleged. This is yeah, just what, what I'm going uh, based on that. So <laughs> if, if you do manage to sell all the stuff you accidentally took from the stately home for millions of pounds, don't use that money to sue me, please. <laughs> you would have got away with it if it went for those meddling kids. Um, back to the Metro and an unfortunate case of life imitating art, Andrew. Oh, yeah. So this is incredible. So this is uh, the author, Na- Nancy Crampton Brophy. I'm not familiar with Nancy's work. Wrote a book called How to Murder Your Husband. She's just been found guilty of murdering her husband. <laughs> so, you know, she wrote the crime down in advance and then performed it. I mean, this is really interesting. But, you know, we, we do have novelists. I mean, artists generally, they do draw on their own thoughts, their own dreams, their own ambitions. I mean, does this mean that Stephen King is going to dress up as a clown and go on a murderous rampage i think we need to watch him you know because yeah. i think this is a sign but you know there, yeah it's, it's fascinating though isn't it that it's, it's it's not just uh, life imitating art i think it was in her head this is what she was she was drawing on a fantasy and then she ended well i don't know but then she ended up doing it you know i think it's very interesting yeah and a lot of uh, criminals they, they don't hide their crimes they you know they put them out front like the um the new york uh, times square murderer uh, or um uh, louis ck for example you know all of his a lot of his comedy is about uh, you know weird uh, sort of sexual, sexual acts. Well, it's almost like the perfect crime because, you know, someone say, accuses you of murdering your husband. You say, ah, I wrote a book called How to Murder Your Husband. Yeah. Would I have done that if I was going to do it? And it's a great defense. In a, although she didn't get away with it. She should have written a book called How to Get Away with a Murder yeah. and she might have got away with a murder. Yeah. Yeah. But but maybe someone else has. OJ wrote this, a similar sort of book but after he'd uh, <laughs> not, not committed the murder not that he didn't commit. And um, probably our final story tonight, then back to the male Leo. And uh, next, this next guy has had his chips. Turns out he didn't like them. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is a story that, that strikes deep into my, my fears, my primal fears. So he, he went to a pub uh, and had the police called on him because uh, he ordered some chips. They're supposed to be Chipotle beef chili top chips at the Brewers Fair owned The Drove in New Haven in East Sussex. Uh, so this guy's 22 years old, shelled out £5.79 on these chips, which, which is a lot for, for chips with some, you know, sauce and stuff on top. And it was meant to include a portion of chips topped with beef chili, gooey cheese sauce, sour cream and spring onions. But the father of one claims that what he received was a monstrosity with just one topping. 
a dollop of beef chili that made the chips look like someone had pooped on them. He was also served cocktails with mouldy fruit in them, according to him. So he was out for his sister's birthday at the time. I mean, it's not much of a birthday meal, so chips with <laughs> chili on top of them. He says he was initially offered a full refund of his meal, uh, but the offer was pulled by management. And uh, then there, you know, there's words exchanged and the police were called. Yeah, I think if you have to call the police, it's, that's a bad night, isn't it? But also the management did say they could, he can have his money back. It's, the customer is always right. This sounds to me like bad customer service, to be honest. Yeah, and apparently there's a picture in the paper that you can check. Well, on that lovely mental image of what he was eating. That's all we've got time for tonight. Thank you to my guests, Andrew Doyle and Leo Kirst. Headliners back tomorrow uh, when Andrew will be sitting in this chair doing the hosting. Till then, have yourself a good one. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.